Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Friday, September 16th, 2022, and it's time for your Ben Jarofsky show. Brought to you in part this week by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all the needs to know in Chicago, where to do, what to go, what to eat, what to drink, and every now and again, what kind of cannabis you can find in the city. More columns from your very own Ben Jarofsky. It's Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. If you want to help out this program, it's super simple. Just go to chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. I know I said it kind of fast. I know it's a funny name. We'll slow it down. J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y, Jarofsky. I think we got it, Ben. I'm going to bring you up. Let's get this show on the road. Ben, are you there? Yes, sir. I am here. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. Got momentarily, uh, my attention momentarily diverted about a back in the game. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Flip Flop Friday, and here's why. First of all, before I get to the flip flop, that voice you hear is what I call, we're going to call him Producer Chris. We got a DJ Nate. We got a Dr. D. Uh, that's, of course, our dear friend Dennis, who's off for today. Uh, so Producer Chris uh, is sitting in for him, and you will recognize that voice. Longtime listeners to Progressive Talk. He was for years uh, the voice, the producer of the legendary Dick K show, Saturdays on W, whatever the name of that station is. I can't remember. Um, all right. Anyway, uh, moving on uh, from that uh, flip-flop Friday, and here's why. It's an oh, what a week we'll get to oh what a week but i just have to share this with you folks i'm i'm going to write a column about this this is so (laughs) this is so twisted and weird it's funny so for the last what since the moment it's been two years now the moment that joe biden mopped the floor with donnie trump in the 2020 presidential election Trump and MAGA have been insisting that Biden didn't win. Biden cheated. Trump's the actual winner. We have to change election laws from one end of the country to the other. There were actually insurrectionists who took Donald Trump's call to arms and stormed the Capitol to try to strong arm Mike Pence uh, into using his clout on a what should have been just a simple routine uh, certification of Joe Biden's win to throw out Joe Biden as the victor and install Donald Trump as like emperor. That, of course, January 6th insurrection failed. Folks are going to jail as a result. But Donald Trump is still going from one end of this country to the other uh, with huge rallies, insisting that the election was stolen. And in one state after another, MAGA candidates are running in Republican primaries and being victorious, ladies and gentlemen, victorious by echoing Donald Trump's false claim that the election that Donald Trump actually lost was stolen. 
In fact, the fastest way it seems to win the Republican nomination is to echo anything Donald Trump says, even if it is obviously a lie. We saw that here in Illinois when Donald Trump came to town and endorsed Mary Miller in her congressional race. And she was victorious in the congressional primary. And, of course, D.B. Darren Bailey when he was victorious in the gubernatorial primary uh, back, uh, let's see, in March already. Wow. God damn time flies. Anyway, so fast forward. To this week, there is a Republican primary uh, in New Hampshire, a relatively, and I have it in quotes, moderate Republican candidate up against uh, Don Baltic, who is running as 100 percent MAGA to the core. And part of what Don Baltic is saying as MAGA to the core is that the election was stolen. Donald Trump is the real president. Joe Biden should not be allowed to be the president. It is obvious that we have to change election laws from one end of the country to the other to make sure that the steal doesn't happen again. He was so proud of it. I'll just give you an example. At the Republican debate just a few weeks ago, he said, and I quote, I signed a letter with 120 other generals and admirals saying that Trump won the election. And damn it, I stand by my letter. I am not switching horses, baby. This is it. This is what the man said. I'm just telling you, ladies and gentlemen, what the man said two weeks ago in a Republican debate. MAGA, follow him like they follow pretty much anybody. If I switched right now and went 100% MAGA, and I think I could do the script by heart because I've been following these guys for the last five years very closely, MAGA would probably nominate me for something or other. So they followed him off the cliff. And then what happens? He <laughs> Maga, this is so funny, Maga, the betrayal, the level of betrayal here. He wakes up, what is it, Thursday morning, realizes he's no longer in a Republican primary and that a lot of voters in New Hampshire uh, will be turned off to his campaign if he insists that something is op- that is obviously a lie is the truth. So he goes on Fox TV and he says, <laughs> folks, this is too bizarre to believe, quote, I've done a lot of research on this, and I've spent the past couple of weeks talking to Granite Staters, that's New Hampshire voters, all over the state from every party, and I've come to the conclusion, and I want to be definitive on this, the election was not stolen. Elections have consequences, and unfortunately, President Biden is a legitimate president of this country. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to the fastest flip-flop I've ever seen in the history of politics. Welcome to the fastest 180 I've ever seen in the history of politics. And I've been following politics, folks, for a long, long time. This man, just two weeks ago, was swearing up and down. He was not going to budge from the fact that the election was stolen. He wasn't going to let leftist radicals deter him. He wasn't going to let cancel culturists push him around. Oh, no. He knew what was the truth, and he was unafraid to say it. Man, man, wakes up and flip-flops. Look, that is the fastest flip-flop, as I said, I've ever seen. And here's what I want to know, Mr. Don Baldick, Republican candidate for senator in the state of New Hampshire. I want to know what evidence you saw in the last day since Tuesday's primary, because on Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, before the polls closed, you were insisting 
the election was stolen. Then Thursday, you say, you know what? I've seen the light. The election wasn't stolen. So what happened between Tuesday and Thursday? What evidence did you see? It reminds me when the athletes were talking about how they weren't getting immunized. It was so funny. Basketball players and football players. Well, I've been doing my research on this stuff. And I'm literally looking at I may get immunized. I'm still doing more research. I'm like, what research? What are you suddenly a scientist? You know, I mean, what are, what research out there is there? Don Baldick, what have you uncovered that convinced you in one day to change your mind? What smoking gun? Did you discover? I really want to know. Maybe that will help other MAGA people suddenly have a change of heart. Maybe they'll drop all their legislation to make it harder for black people to vote, which they got going from one state to the other in order to stop the steal. The fastest flip-flop in the history of politics. All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring on the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of yes just like Dr. D of Alton, Illinois. I don't know why. I keep going to Alton for my producers because they're so talented. There's something in the water uh, down in Alton, Illinois, that creates very uh, creative producers, radio and podcast producers. Without uh, further ado, producer Chris, take it away for Oh, What a Week. Okay, so Oh, What a Week. It's been a very eventful week here in the state of Illinois, in the city of Chicago, in the entire country. This is what we do every week on Friday. We like to cover some of the stories. We might have talked about them earlier in the week, might not have talked about them earlier in the week, but you're going to find out about them right now. We're going to start off in the city of Chicago. Benjamin, how long have you been living in Chicago? 41 years. 41 years. So you're you're a lifelong resident, essentially. Well, I mean, I'm an old guy, so I had a lot of life before I got to that 41 years. I'm a little embarrassed to admit that, Chris. But I have lived in just Chicago for the great majority of my life. I should just get out of denial. I should just say I'm a Chicagoan, but I, <laughs> I still resist. No, I'm not quite a Chicagoan, Chris. I've lived here since 1981, but no. But uh, no, I was born anyway, I've lived here a long, long time. Let's put it that You've way. You've been living there since before I was born, so you get street credit. <laughs> That's okay. a, that's that's good. But but All unfortunately, right. you're going to have a new local moving into town. So, uh, you know, your guy, Dar- Darren Bailey. Yes. You're familiar TV. with him. Oh, yeah. Very familiar with. Darren OK, Bailey, well, yes. you, and, and I know you saw the Sun-Times because your bright one is the most uh, most viewed piece of publication in your household. <laughs> so you couldn't have possibly missed a giant picture of the Hancock building. You know, you ever heard the kids say take an L? Yes. The Hancock building in this photograph on the on the cover of the Sun Times talking about Darren Bailey's move to Chicago is literally Chicago taking an L. The Hancock building has a new resident, Darren Bailey himself. Let me deal with this one, folks. This is uh, this is oh, what a week we talked about this a little bit on the show beforehand. Uh, thank you, Chris. Uh, yes, indeed, the bright one, the Chicago Sun Times uh, front page was far more interesting, in my humble opinion, uh, than the headline uh, on the uh, internet. This is something before we get into there, but I just want to say this, folks. This is something I've noticed for a long, long time. Ever since newspapers went online, you know, they've been trying to find the perfect headline that would draw the most clicks. I can remember times at the Reader having conversations with editors who remain unnamed telling me, Ben, the headline we write has got to be in a certain way so that we're working with algorithms and that'll get more people to see it. It's like we're totally at the mercy of Facebook and Twitter. It's not like content matters anywhere. No, it's trying to how to figure out an algorithm, but it's probably set up to screw you over, newspapers. I'm guaranteeing you it's a losing proposition. Anyway, so the Bright Ones headline in their pursuit of clicks is high rise in a hellhole. Republican Bailey living on North Michigan Avenue to immerse himself in the city. He keeps dissing. As I've uh, said no. from day one, I want to immerse myself in the culture. 
Uh, yes, thank you, DB. Uh, just had a way in there. I appreciate that. Uh, and the headline in the Sun-Times Home Delivered is Home Sweet Hell Hole. Very clever, very creative, uh, great image, uh, as Chris told me when I sent it to him. But it doesn't get clicks. Oh, well. All right. Uh, so this is a piece of fraudulence from Darren Bailey, who, as I said, is the maggiest MAGA man in the state of Illinois, state senator uh, from downstate. He was leading the charge for the last from the almost from the moment he was uh, first elected as a state rep, carrying the flag for Donald Trump uh, in Illinois, leading the charge, a resistance to the tyrannical, as he calls it, uh, impositions that uh, Governor Pritzker made in the early days of COVID when everybody was freaking out about COVID. Remember that? That was before there were vaccines. So it was like a deadly disease. Folks seem to have forgotten that. The first like, what was it, from March of 2020 into uh, 2021, hospitals were filling up with patients, nurses and doctors completely overworked, friends and family dying, you know, and but Bailey's was leading the resistance. He said that uh, Governor Pritzker overstepped his bounds. He said that it, he kind of signed on to the notion that it was a hoax, that we didn't need protections against uh, COVID, uh, that we certainly didn't need mask mandates. That it would be up to everybody to, if they want to wear a mask, to wear a mask later. When the vaccine came up, it's up to everybody if they want to get vaccinated, to get vaccinated. Uh, he's part of the MAGA chorus uh, that is saying that the COVID is a hoax, which is interesting. I talked about the flip flop that uh, MAGA people are making when they run statewide uh, outside of the sweet spot of gerrymandered MAGA districts when they have to inch away from the madness of MAGA. Will they inch away from their COVID position? I doubt that. I doubt that because the danger has passed. So folks are kind of not even paying attention to that issue. But that's what made uh, Darren Bailey a name. Uh, and he was very much standing up for downstate people against people in Chicago and Cook County. He was part of a group, a block of downstate legislators who actually wanted to secede from the, from Chicago. So pull out of the state of Illinois, have two separate states, one for Chicago and Cook County, the rest for everybody else. Like everybody else outside of uh, Chicago and Cook County agreed with their lunacy, which I think is pretty much of a stretch. Yes, I know that MAGA has been making inroads in areas downstate. I do know that MAGA gets, what, 60 to 70 percent of the vote in some elections. But guess what? That means 30 percent of the people disagree with MAGA. So you <laughs> You got to force them to live with lunatics. In fact, there are more non-MAGA voters downstate than there are MAGA voters in Chicago. Darren Bailey makes such a big deal. He goes down to the 19th Ward or he goes up to the 41st Ward in the southwest side of Chicago, the northwest side of Chicago, where there's a lot of police officers and firefighters. He goes, I have allies in the city of Chicago. Yeah, but there are more opponents that you have downstate and those allies you have in the city of Chicago, if you add them all up, it's like 15% of the total population. So you're like, got this, it's like this, another MAGA myth that they're making inroads in the city of Chicago. So anyway, he's been calling Chicago a hellhole. Uh, he's been acting as though uh, he's just discovered the fact that there's crime in Chicago. Probably going to get into this in a larger, uh, with a different story. Oh, what are we? 
and is uh, aggressively promoting the notion that Chicago is a hellhole. But now to understand the city of Chicago, he is going to move here. It's a, a, a delightful little p- piece of fluffery. I can't quite figure out who he thinks he's going to convince, who he's going to win over with this. I mean, while he comes to Chicago, it's not like he says, I want to come to Chicago because I want to have a second home in Chicago because I love Chicago. I love the restaurants. I love the culture of the city. I know it's having hard times. I don't want to help it. No, he's saying, I want to understand what it's like to live in a hell. So he's even insulting us while he's moving here. I mean, I mean like, if I moved down to Alton, I wouldn't go. I want to see what it's like to live in this pit. I wouldn't say that. I'd say, hey, man, it's a cool town. Like the Mississippi River. Love these great restaurants they have in it. All these great bars and taverns that they have here. You know, I love country music all of a sudden. You know, I mean, I that is, Chris, what's the name of that singer? Oh, my God, from Florida. Dennis always tells me he's really popular uh, in uh, um uh, in 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 Alton, uh, we always have the argument because I I say Bruce Springsteen's more par- popular. Uh, Wasted away in Margaritaville Re- singer, oh, uh, Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett. I yeah. love Jimmy Buffett, so I'm moving down to Alton. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't say I'm moving to Alton to see what it's like to live in a hellhole <laughs> filled with stupid people. I wouldn't say something like that. I wouldn't like trash the people I'm now living with. You'd be like, <laughs> you'd be like, I want to immerse myself in some Margaritaville fans. Yes. Yes. Some Margaritaville fans. Yeah, yeah I like a couple Jimmy Buffett songs. All right. You know, I'm not hating on Jimmy Buffett. By the way, just yes or no, straight up. Do you agree with uh, Dennis that Jimmy Buffett is more popular than Bruce Springsteen uh, in Alton? Um, man, that's that's tough. I mean, a- age bracket wise. <sighs> I mean, everybody can get down to a Jimmy Buffett song. You know, you, you get a couple drinks and you, you're at a local bar. Everybody gets into it. Springsteen is kind of, I think, a little more hit or miss. So, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say Jimmy Buffett is probably more popular. I haven't run any surveys yet. Well, I'm going down to all one of these days, ladies and gentlemen. I'm doing my own survey because I don't believe Dennis. I don't believe Chris. Okay. I believe that Bruce Springsteen is, is as popular as Jimmy Buffett in the Alton area. And I will prove that. Uh, and then I will go to the whatever they claim is their favorite restaurant in Alton. And we will all celebrate me being right. But the point is, back to DB. You have insulted. You're, you're doubling down on the insult to Chicago. And we'll get into this again later because of the issue of crime. But crime in Chicago has become a tool with which MAGA badgers, pounds potential voters to scare them in to voting for MAGA so MAGA can then enact laws that don't help Chicago at all. And I remember Donald Trump saying that he had talked to his friend, the police officer, his friend, the police official from Chicago, who he never named, never identified. So I, don't th- I think the whole thing was made up that he had talked to this police official and this police official told him what could be done to eradicate crime in Chicago. I think it was like in three days. Donald Trump said that before he was elected president. Then he served four years. It's been two years since. That's six years total. MAGA has never enacted, even when he was the president of the United States, the changes that could eradicate crime in Chicago. So I don't think MAGA, be it Donald Trump or Darren Bailey, cares about Chicago. I don't think they care about ending crime in Chicago. I think they just want to use it as a tool to win over voters. And again, I don't see this working. 
I don't see anybody flipping to vote for Darren Bailey because he has volunteered to move into one of the ritziest parts of town as part of his experiment with living in a hellhole. I'm not quite sure you win people over by insulting them. Interesting little uh, tactic by Darren Bailey. Uh, We'll see how it works. I don't think it will work. So it's interesting you're talking about crime, Ben. A lot of people are talking about crime in the city of Chicago, including the CEO of McDonald's. This week, uh, also in Sun-Times, what's the plan? McDonald's CEO asks about the city's crime problem. The company's adding 100 jobs to its West Loop headquarters, and the city's crime problem is making recruiting talent difficult, CEO Chris Kipchinski said on Wednesday. Here we go, Ben. Violence in the city, I mean, it's, it doesn't seem much crazier than usual. I mean, Chicago is a dangerous city. There's a lot of people, and it's it, it hasn't really changed much over time. But according to him, it's getting harder to bring in new talent to the city of Chicago. said the city violence and crime have made it hard for him to recruit talent. There's a general sense our city is in crisis, Kim Chesnick said, to a crowd of 500 people attending his speech at the Economic Club of Chicago at the Fairmont Hotel. All right, let me... Uh take a deep dive on this one. And this is something, this is like a recurring theme I'm hearing from Chicago CEOs about crime uh, in the city. And we started off the show, uh, Chris, by talking about how long I lived here. So I live in Chicago. I say this all the time. I write this all the time uh, for night since 1981. So that's 41 years. And ever since I've been in Chicago, it's been a violent city. And I've watched how the politics of crime in Chicago work. Now, I'm not talking about the actual crime itself or the approach to crime that the city takes to try to reduce uh, crime or to help victims of crime or to make sure that people who do the crimes get punished in a way uh, that may deter other people from doing crimes. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the politicization of crimes and how it's used in campaigns and how it's sort of selectively used. So I remember when Harold Washington was mayor of the city of Chicago from uh, 1983 until he died in 1987, that crime was an issue that was directed by the powers that be at the mayor. I remember so many tribunes headlines saying, OK, you got to be the mayor, Mayor Washington. Now, what are you going to do about crime in Chicago? And then I remember when Mayor Richard Daley took over and the tone and the attitude changed. Now, the crime didn't change again. We have always been a violent city in some strange, weird, perverse ways. Chicago sort of reveres its reputation for being a violent city. They love this attitude that we're so tough. We have this retaliatory culture in the city of Chicago. Chicagoans love it. Someone punches me, I punch him back twice as hard. So this attitude that leads to violence murders, revenge killings, et cetera, and so forth, has always been here in the city of Chicago. I don't remember CEOs during the daily time ever criticizing daily for crime in Chicago. And it was a violent city under Mayor Richard M. Daly, ladies and gentlemen. Don't kid yourself. Go back and read the newspapers. I don't remember CEOs criticizing Mayor Rahm when he was mayor of the city of Chicago for crime. And it was a violent city. In fact, McDonald's moved to the city of Chicago. They moved into that West Loop, their headquarters in the West Loop from Oak Brook during the ROM years. Heavy violence in the city of Chicago. I don't recall McDonald's CEOs talking about violence in Chicago. It was always the mayor is a visionary. The mayor knows what's best for the city. 
we are going to work hand in hand, the private public partnership with the mayor of the city of Chicago. They didn't even talk about crime. By the way, Mayor Rahm closed six mental health centers in high crime areas in his first budget, 2011, in the midst of heavy crime, folks, shootings, murders, etc. Not that much different than it is today. People could really use a little help from help them deal with the trauma of life, but particularly life in a high crime area. He closed six mental health. I don't recall ever one CEO speaking out with the activists who are trying to begging Rom to reopen those clinics or not to close them in the first place. 50 to nothing was the vote in the city council on that measure. So it's interesting. All of a sudden, now that Lori Lightfoot is the mayor and Kim Fox is the state's attorney, CEOs, corporate Chicago, cares about crime. They cared about crime when Harold Washington was the mayor. We need a plan. And now they care about crime when Lori Lightfoot's the mayor. We need a plan. I remember, I'll go one step further. I remember when Father Flager and Reverend Jesse Lewis Jackson led a march onto the Dan Ryan, closed down the Dan Ryan. They were saying they wanted to force the city to pay attention to the fact that so many people were getting murdered in black communities. This was not about defunding the police. This was not criticizing the police. This was about forcing the city to significantly show some care about people getting killed in black communities. And the reaction, dead silence from corporate Chicago. I don't know any corporate leaders who joined that march. MAGA opposed it. Bruce Rauner, the governor at the time, uh, was against it. I don't recall, I can't recall ever once uh, some corporate chieftain joining in with Jesse Jackson and Father Flager when they'd led those marches in those times. So I just find this very curious. This is like this theme that's emerged because a couple of companies have moved their headquarters out of Chicago, Boeing and Citadel. Uh, that's what the McDonald's CEO cites. Well, Boeing. Boeing just brought like a handful, relative handful of office workers, I don't know, 200, 300 to Chicago from their old headquarters in Washington, state of Washington. Didn't bring the factory to Chicago, brought a handful of chieftains to Chicago, rented up some space, got some, a lot of state assistance for that. It wasn't like they did it out of benevolence because they love Chicago. They got, they got a handout from the state. Oh, and they were singing the praise of Mayor Daley, Mayor Rahm. Now they leave. And they're trying to pretend it's like crime. I don't know. I would like to see what kind of incentives they got to leave Chicago. I would like to see what kind of incentives uh, Citadel got to leave Chicago. And they blame it on crime. Like Chicago did something wrong. Like Chicago did something wrong now on crime, but was doing something right when they moved here with crime, even though the crime rates are pretty much the same. So I think this is kind of a weird twisted game that these CEOs are playing. They're not being much help, in my humble opinion, uh, to folks who are trying really like literally trying on a day to day basis to deal with crime. He talks about what is the plan? What, like what kind of plan are you talking about? Are you talking about a holistic plan? You know, where you like increase, I don't know, mental health centers in the city of Chicago. Is that the plan that you're talking about, Mr. McDonald's? You talk about a holistic plan. Ron closed the clinics. 
Mayor Lori Lightfoot hasn't. Oh, it's one thing she and Rob see eye to eye on. So I just think it's kind of a um, scapegoat time here in the city of Chicago where uh, CEOs are like jumping aboard this MAGA bandwagon. That's something somehow different in Chicago than it's been my entire life uh, in Chicago, 41 years and counting. Well, it's a it's a dangerous game that they're playing, ladies and gentlemen. I hope we don't fall for it. Well, we've got coming up next here. I've got a story coming up, but as I as I prep it, I'm going to have you uh, let us in. What's going on this weekend? I know you got some bonus drops coming up for the Benny J Show. First of all, before I uh, get to that, I'll get to that, but I just want to give a shout out to our good friend Patrick Whalen, who will be doing a show tonight live uh, at the Promontory in Hyde Park. Uh, good evening with Pat Whalen. He was on the show last week. He'll have musical guest Brittany Carter uh, and a comedian Felonious Monk. And, of course, uh, Governor Pritzker will be there with him. Uh, we talked about that last week, and uh, I'm sure uh, he'll be asking him. Uh, Pat Whalen will be asking Governor Pritzker all about the Safety Act uh, and uh, the Abbott busing migrants. Uh, and then, uh, of course, Darren Bailey moving to Chicago in a hellhole. So if you want to see uh, Governor Pritzker live with Pat Whalen, uh, go to the, the Promontory tonight at 8 p.m. And the Promontory is in Hyde Park, and that's P-R-O-M-O-N. T-O-R-Y, the Promontory in Hyde Park. You can get tickets online. So, Pat Whalen, good luck tonight. We're also going to bring on uh, very soon, we're going to send the uh, invite out to him, Dave Glotz, Mr. Bike, and we're going to talk about uh, something else that's been in the news. I think that'll be our uh, final news item for this week. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the death of Sam Bell, a bicyclist uh, in Chicago, and uh, just sort of the, the whole uh, challenge of integrating cars and bikes and pedestrians on the streets of Chicago, something that uh, Dave Glowatz, who usually comes on the show, uh, regularly comes on the show, I should say, to talk about city council politics, is also a biking guru. Uh, he's known as Mr. Bike. Uh, he has a website and uh, d- dedicated to bicycle safety. So it's like, his, I don't know which one's his day job anymore. I'm going to ask him that uh, when he comes on the show, uh, which is his day job being a uh, a political uh, observer of Chicago for inside Chicago government or being Mr. Bike uh, and talking about uh, bike safety. The drops that I have this uh, this weekend, uh, Ramana Hussein and I have a very funny conversation about the Queen of England. I urge everybody to check that one out. It's pretty funny. Uh, and then uh, on Sunday, I thought it was a great conversation. And Lee Allen Jones uh, and Kevin Lamb. So we're going to Two diehard football fans. Lee Allen Jones really knows his football. You guys know him as a political strategist, a Green Party leftist, been on the show to talk politics. He's also a football coach and a diehard Bears fan, Kevin Lamb, another political strategist. Believe it or not, he lives in Chicago. He works in Chicago politics, but he's a Green Bay Packer fan, and they went at it. Very interesting debate that they had about football with the Bears-Packers game uh, coming up this Sunday. I thought it'd be fun to uh, have them on. And then Kathleen Sampson's, and you really want to hear what she has to say. She is putting together a pack that's dedicated to sensible gun laws, gun reform, she calls it. And she talks about the challenges that she's facing uh, and uh, she gets her voter guide out. Because like just like Terry Cosgrove with Personal Pack are going to uh, uh, help folks understand where candidates stand on the issue of abortion, uh, she will help folks understand where candidates stand on the issue of sensible uh, gun reform. So uh, that's the shows that we're dropping this weekend. Really good conversations coming up. 
Awesome. You heard it. All those shows and more, chicagoreader.com. And just to finish us out here for Oh, What a Week, Ben, we're going to go over to our friends at Politico. They wrote a piece. Uh, we've got Shia Kapos with the return of immigration politics. I just heard you talking about Greg Abbott, so I was so glad. I'm sure you still got still got five or ten minutes of ranting in you, don't you? Oh, yeah. Immigrants are becoming pawns in uh, American politics, the article says. Illinois is at the center of this game as Texas Governor Greg Abbott has sent the third wave of immigrants to Chicago in a calculated effort to blame Democrats for an influx of immigration. All right, very good. I'm going to take the deep dive on this one. Uh, then we're going to bring Dave Goatz. So we're just waiting for him to accept the invite. Uh, so this is one of the most cynical games I've seen in a long time. I'll probably write a column about it for next week because it's a it's a very strange turn that I've been noticing uh, with politics in this country uh, in the aftermath of uh, Trump leaving office. I thought that um, a line had been crossed back in October of 2016 uh, where Donald Trump was caught uh, on videotape uh, talking about how he proudly uh, was grabbing women by the quote unquote pussy. I thought, well, there's no way the man will get elected. Uh, this is a line that you cannot cross uh, in politics. Uh, as outrageous as he is, he's gone too far. He will lose. Well, he didn't lose. Uh, he, to put it mildly, as you all know, he was victorious. Electoral, well, he lost the vote. You're right. You're correct. If it was a true democracy, he would never have been president because he lost the popular vote. But he, he got to sit in because we have this take off office because he got this electoral college system. Uh, and then after that, it seemed like he did crazier and crazier things while in office that made almost made. His initial comments about grabbing women by the private parts almost look that tame by comparison just open violations of law protocol behavior for a sitting president so you could say he he tried to argue at the time that uh his behavior uh was just locker room behavior he kind of suggested uh that uh he might he's learned his ways he hasn't done it in a while and he's changed clearly hasn't changed uh he got more and more outrageous as the years gone by he left office uh with the outrageous claim that the election was stolen uh when he actually lost that claim as i said was echoed by maga uh and now it's like to win the nomination maga governors have to be more outrageous than donald trump and so it started with Gregory Abbott sending migrants from the border uh, to Chicago and New York and Washington, uh, putting them on buses and sending them. Well, Ron DeSantis, obviously the governor of Florida, wants to be the heir apparent to uh, Donald Trump. So he can't let any other MAGA governor outmaneuver him on this front. So he takes it one step further. He lures immigrants from Texas on an airplane to Florida, and then sends them <laughs> to Martha's Vineyard. Now, follow me on this, folks. He had to bring him to Florida so that he could take credit for being the guy that sent him to Martha's Vineyard. He couldn't just send them from Texas to Massachusetts. Martha's Vineyard is an island off of Massachusetts. I'm like, that is really twisted behavior. I mean, that's like, that is... I will actually say I think that's more outrageous. Well, is that more outrageous than anything Trump did? I don't know. <laughs> I got to think about that. Maybe it's not more outrageous than anything Donald Trump did. But it's up there. So I'm, I'm going to watch. Let's see. So is this where we're heading now? Like all these different MAGAites are going to try to outdo each other? I'm like, how is Darren Bailey going to deal with this? You know, like 
He's he wants to he wants to send my migrants somewhere. But he first of all, I don't know who he's, he's just going to round up people that he doesn't like in Illinois and bust. Them. Where's he going to send them? We're already a blue state. He's going to send them to Chicago. What's he going to do? Round up people he doesn't like in Alton and send them to Chicago. And what's a, what's a MAGA candidate in a blue state supposed to do to prove that he's just as insane as Ron DeSantis? Once again, the people that Ron DeSantis flew to Martha's Vineyard did not live in Florida. They had not fled to Florida. He had to go to Texas to get them. So maybe that's what Darren Bailey's going to Maybe Darren Bailey's going to pick up some folks in a detention center uh, in, uh, at the border, at the Mexican border. Bring them to Chicago. Or no, bring them to Alton someplace downstate, and then dispatch them to blue cities in Illinois. That's, I guess that's the plan. Actually, Alton went, I should pick it on Alton. I don't know if you know this, Chris, but Alton went for uh, Biden uh, in uh, 26. So he won't send uh, the immigrants to Alton. You know, he, uh, I mean, no, no, maybe he'll send them to Alton. That's where he'll send them. Or to Carbondale, downstate enclaves of blue. And otherwise, a uh, sea of red. So really twisted uh, games of politics uh, going on by uh, MAGA right now. All right. Uh, our good friend uh, Dave Glowatz has joined us. But for this particular segment, he won't be Dave Glowatz, intrepid reporter for Inside Chicago Government, who is always, as you know, ladies and gentlemen, very objective, will never reveal uh, his feelings, his opinions, uh, just the facts. And it's now he will put on his Mr. Bike hat and you'll suddenly see a very opinionated, <laughs> a very opinionated uh, man, uh, Dave Goatz, Mr. Bike. Uh, welcome back, Dave, for a segment of the show that has nothing to do with the Chicago City Council. Well, you think so, huh? Wait, wait till we get into it. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Ben. Wow. And by the way, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Kevin Lamb, who was um, uh, on my show yesterday. We recorded. He's the Packer fan. He knows a lot about Chicago politics, knows a lot about football. Uh, and uh, dear friend of Dave Glowatz and was the man who introduced me to Dave Glowatz. 15 years ago. So shout out Kevin Lamb. And he did an interview with Dave uh, that's on Inside Chicago Government. I urge everybody to check it out about uh, legislative uh, district and cut the cutbacks of 19. I think it was 1981. Anyway. All right. No, no football in that conversation. Sorry to say. No, no football in that conversation. But uh, Kevin Lamb really knows his football. All right, Dave. Um, so let's uh, get serious here. Very sad story that occurred uh in Chicago on the corner, I think it was Milwaukee, Milwaukee and Huron uh, last week. I think September 8th was the date. Uh, Sam Bell was killed. Uh, a bicyclist, Sam Bell, was killed in an accident. Uh, and immediately I reached out to you uh, to get your thoughts about that particular accident, safety, uh, uh, bicycling safety in the city of Chicago. The curious, these are the issues I want to hit, the curious attitude that so many I don't know what to call them, but Chicagoans have. I guess John Cass is the the symbol of this, like the hostility uh, that they have toward bicyclists. It's like they don't like them in some kind of deep, visceral, weird, twisted way and uh, fantasize about hitting them. Uh, And so uh, it's almost as like uh, bicycling has become sort of a Joe Biden Democratic thing 
and driving a car and scaring bicyclists has become a MAGA thing uh, in terms of this larger culture. So we'll get into all of that. Uh, but let's start with at the top with what happened on the accident that killed Sam Bell. Take it away. Thanks, Ben. Is a um, bicycling instructor and former um, bicycle crash statistician, I guess you could say. I'm compelled to point out that those who deal with um, traffic injuries and car bike inter- car bike interactions prefer to use the term crash rather than accident. And this was, I think, promulgated by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration back in the, I want to say, late 90s, early O's, um, because the term accident implies something random that you wouldn't predict. For example, if one of the many plaques that you have on the wall behind you just fell off the wall and onto your head, we could consider that an accident. Well, we can't see them now, but I know they're there. (laughs) Um, a, A crash, however, the, using the term crash helps orient folks to thinking that this is something that's predictable and shown statistically uh, to be preventable. So that's why most people who work in traffic safety uh, and bicycling education prefer to use the term crash and not accident. Um, for the particular crash we're talking about <clears throat> on September 8th with Mr. Bell, according to news reports, A driver was going north on the 700 block of Milwaukee Avenue, approaching Huron Street. And Huron Street, um, as you're going north of Milwaukee there, I've taken a look at it just to refresh my memory. Because Milwaukee is a diagonal street, Huron, uh, if one is turning left from Milwaukee onto Huron on a motor vehicle, it's about a 60 degree turn as opposed to a 90 degree turn because Milwaukee is a diagonal. So the driver was going north and turning left onto Huron. And Mr. Bell reportedly was coming in the opposite direction in a bike lane, which on that stretch of Milwaukee is separated from the single lane of motor vehicle traffic by a curb. So it's what's called a protected bike lane to prevent motorists from swerving into the bike lane. But as with all bike lanes, um, the protected bike lane ended where Milwaukee meets Huron. And apparently um, the motorist did what's commonly called in bike safety parlance, a left hook, where the motorist turns left in front of an oncoming bicyclists and hits them. So that's apparently what happened. It's a fairly common um, bike car bike crash when you look at statistics over many years. Uh, intersections are statistically the most dangerous places for bicycles, bicyclists riding in urban environments. Um, the two, one of the two most left hook is one of the most common crashes. Another is the right hook where a bicyclist is going straight through an intersection and a motorist overtakes them. Uh, from the left side and makes a right turn in front of them or into them. That's called a right hook. So there's lots of those at intersections too. A key fact when I read into this more was that Mr. Bell was riding a motorized bicycle. So what's commonly called an electric bike or now called e-bikes. I looked around a bit and couldn't tell if it was a private bicycle, in other words, owned by Mr. Bell or a Dibby bike. 
And as we discussed earlier, Divi is deploying more and more electric bicycles. In fact, there is a report, there was a report from New City back in June by our friend Mary Wisniewski, former uh, Tribune transportation reporter, but now spokesperson for Chief Judge, Cook County Chief Judge uh, Tim Evans. Um, anyway, she wrote that um, Divi announced, or Lyft, the company that owns Divi, and announced that it will, it's it started deploying electric bicycles back in 2020, and it announced that it will no longer replace the non-electric bicycles, the pedal-powered bicycles, as they go bad, as they no longer can be repaired. So if you look at it, well, one way to look at it is that eventually the entire fleet, if this continues, the entire fleet will be motorized. Well, so there's a couple of ramifications. Going back to Mr. Bell's crash, if you are in a car approaching an intersection and you're going to make a left turn and you see a bicyclist coming from the other direction, I think you most motors have an expectation about how fast a bicyclist is going and we don't know because it, you know it isn't reported but it's possible that because mr bell was on an electric bike he was going faster than the motors judged him to be going and i checked the the divi e-bikes can go as fast as 20 miles per mm. hour which is pretty fast you know i i, I rarely do 20 on my uh human powered bike i think i probably you know sometimes when i go through areas where they have the uh you know, the your speed signs where it shows you your speed and I'm, I'm going like five or seven or seven. <laughs> and on a, on a, with a head, with a tailwind, you know. So that's, you know, that's one of the um, possibilities there. I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. Well, all right, let's, you mentioned uh, e-bikes, so let's go there. I have many attitudes about uh, e-bikes. Love to get your thoughts on them. Uh, first of all, as a bicyclist, uh, for my entire life, I just say for my first instinct is, come on, guys, that's the laziest freaking thing I ever. You're not getting the extras. Stop pretending you're bike riding. And uh, the notion that Divi is going to get rid of its um, regular bicycles, you got to pedal with your own uh, power and go to the motorcycle ones. It's just a kind of sad s statement about how lazy we are that's got nothing to do with safety but i just had to get that off my chest well mr bike has a definite opinion about this okay in terms of um <clears throat> the transportation landscape in the united states cities like chicago and then even uh newer cities like los angeles they have a um a layout a um uh a road environment that's built to accommodate motor vehicles. And now we have bicycles or motor vehicles, right? So there's kind of a, to me, there's kind of a, a continuing, uh, I don't know, escalation of the motor vehicle mindset and, and bicycle, bicycle riders are getting swept up in it. Yeah, well, they're lazy, man. Let's just call it for what it is. Now, I love, by the way, I just have to say, uh, Dave Glass has been coming on this show uh, for 
three years, I went doing a, a great city council review, which I urge everybody to check out whenever he does this because it's fantastic stuff. Never once heard Dave Gloatch refer to himself in the third person. Uh, well, Dave Gloatch believes. But, he uh, never Mr. says Dave Gloetz. <laughs> no, he, he never. Mr. Bike. <laughs> uh, Mr. Bike talking... often refers to himself in the third person. Yeah, but I, um, I agree with what the, the point you're making, and I think it's a very important point. Uh, the city of Chicago has been, uh, over time, setting aside uh, bike lanes for bicyclists uh, and trying to promote. You could say whether you could question would be a whole debate whether they're doing enough of it what have it put that to the side trying to promote promote bike riding there is such a drastic difference between a vehicle going 20 miles an hour and a vehicle going excuse me a bicycle going 20 miles an hour and a bicycle going five miles an hour i don't think you can qualify them you should count them as the same so if you're i think suddenly we're going to find ourselves in a position dave we're going to have to treat electric bikes and they're just going to get faster and faster, you know, as technology goes on differently than you treat regular bikes. And so those bike paths, maybe they're going to have to kick the electric bikes out. Maybe we, like the I don't even know if they're allowed on the bike path along Lake Michigan uh, that goes through Lincoln Park all the way downtown. I don't know if electric bikes are allowed there. Yes, they are. Well, I've, that's insane. If you know, if anybody's ever been on that bike path on a crowded Sunday afternoon, that is just asking for some serious accident. So what's uh, Mr. Bike's crash. thoughts? Uh, excuse me. <laughs> You're correct. Sorry. Uh, crash. Mr. Oh, Bike, it's kind of didactic. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Bike. <laughs> <laughs> and he whipped me, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, when I said that. Uh, and, all right. So um, what, what is your uh, attitude about that, whether you should separate and treat electric bikes as, like, motorcycles well, it's even, worse. Bike lanes. it's even worse than I mentioned earlier, because while the Divi bikes reportedly can go 20 miles an hour, private e, private e-bikes, in other words, that are, you know, sold independently and are increasingly showing up on Chicago streets. And you can you can spot them, you know, because they're going fast and, uh, you know, they have kind of the, the uh, motor is it's either. Uh, assisting the crank, the pedal area, or it's assisting the rear wheel. So you'll see some kind of big blob, you know, an unexpected blob on the frame in one of those areas that'll clue you to the fact that it's uh, an e-bike. So they're seeing more and more of those, and the fastest ones can go like 28 miles per hour. So, you know, I, I take your point, and um, but unfortunately, how do you police that you know if unless you know <laughs> unless you've got like a sensor on the road that you know shows you when an electric current is operating in a bike lane or on the street you know how do you because you, you the casual observer is not going to be able to spot uh, an e-bike you know most of the time because they you know they're they just like look like big clunky bikes you know well, it's like anything else, policing anything else when it comes to the roadways. You, and at various times, you and I have had conversations about bicycling and the cars who park in bike lanes, buses that park in bike lanes, trucks that park in bike lanes, and the problems that they cause because they, de they uh, deter the flow of the bikes. The bikes have to divert, go out into the traffic. It's a potential safety hazard. Uh, there was I remember sending you an article that was in the New York Times. They did a whole study uh, that this was happening all the time in Manhattan and there was very little enforcement and listen 
police have so much on their plate right now. I, I don't want this to be added to police uh, policing. I do believe we will be doing an episode about the city council where some uh, city council, uh, where some aldermen raise this as a problem. Because what you'll see, and you know this, and you can address this, uh, Dave, is that there will be fights, quarrels, arguments, between uh, people using a bike lane, people going 28 miles an hour and people going five miles an hour and 28 miles. If you were in a 28, a vehicle that goes 28 miles an hour and you act like you're a bicyclist, that means you're going through red lights. That means you're going through stop signs. That means like you're doing that thing that bicyclists do where they they judge how fast a pedestrian is going and then accordingly react accordingly. They don't stop. It's almost like, hurry up, go walk across. I'll get by you. That little mind game that they play. Pedestrians have the same, uh, I contend, uh, challenge that motorists have in terms of judging the speed of a bicyclist. And if, you know, if a pedestrian is stepping off the curb and seeing a bicyclist coming, what if that biker is moving 28 miles per hour? You know, that judgment is out the window. And another problem with you know, the bike lanes that I see, Chicago is <clears throat> doubling down on bike lanes as the sort of um, premier bicycling safety mechanism for Chicago. It, it, if you look at the city of Chicago website, it talks about how many hundred plus miles of protected bike lanes it's going to implement. It's, in other words, converting bike lanes that are <clears throat> currently just painted, you know, to put a, a curb protected with the um, notion that the curb protected bike lanes, as I said at the onset, um, keep a motorist from swerving into the bike lane. But the problem occurs at intersections. You know, the bike lane always ends. The bicyclist, uh, the hapless bicyclist feels protected, but all that protection vanishes at the intersection. So Mr. Bike has, has said for quite a while that bike lanes lull bicyclists into a false sense of security. Mm. And they, they don't, you know, I don't know how you um, fix that. Because when you think about the level of education that motorists have, just about everybody who has a driver's license had to go through some kind of training to get that license. You know, it's very common in, in the United States, Illinois included, that you know, kids want to get their driver's license at 16, and the, it's mandated that he must take driver ed. So you have driver ed classes. Nobody is forced to take biker ed. So you know, I could t sit here and talk to you and your listeners about the dangers of the left hook. You know, and when the bike lane ends, but we're going to reach very few uh, people. Uh, you know, in terms of the population. So I, like I say, I, I. I even though I teach this stuff, I'm a certified bicycling instructor with the League of American Bicyclists and have been teaching this stuff for over 20 years. It's just a drop in the bucket. You can't you can't really get this, you know, in front of people, in front of bike bike riders. So I could go down another road, if you will, around how to make the environment safer. Um, and a bike lanes, I don't think, is the way. Uh, the way is to reduce the number of cars on the road, and we can talk about that if you want. All right. Well, we'll get into that. Uh, but uh, if I'm a motorist, if, if I'll just say this, I'm I'm really concerned now about uh, 
the increased use of electric motorized bicycles, the fact they're already up to 28 miles an hour, because uh, as, as I said, as this improves, if they start approaching 40 miles an hour, I don't know what the difference is really between. A it's a motorcycle. Bike. It's a motorcycle. And exactly. Exactly. And uh, we have to think of it as a motorcycle uh, and act accordingly. Uh, and, and, you know, when you were talking there, I was I had this vision the other day. I was uh, I'm a, I do a lot of walking, as you know, and I was walking about to cross Lawrence Avenue uh, on the north side. And man, this dude, <laughs> this bike cyclist was he was going uh, so fast down Lawrence. Uh, he was heading um, uh east on lawrence and i was crossing at roughly uh, walcott and I, I i tell you it was it was kind of scary because he didn't so he was utterly oblivious to pedestrians going through the crosswalk uh again he had that bicycle mentality and uh so i think this is a, a we're heading for some serious problems here and it, it what it does is it creates hostility like you were talking about initially when you mentioned former tribune columnist john cass and his <clears throat> apparent ire towards what is he called the little bike people so what is he, he terms bicycle riders and you know i can certainly um empathize with that because you know the fact that you have these bikers going really fast now on, on e-bikes just makes makes for more road rage and i don't want to blame the victims here but you know when you when you have a lot of uh a lot of people out on the street going going fast it's not it's not a good recipe it's not like i say the the recipe for fixing this, I think, is to reduce the number of motor vehicle trips. All right. We'll get uh, explain how you do that uh, and what's involved in doing that. And then let's get into the attitude of Cass and other uh, MAGAites uh, about bike riders. Very strange hostility, uh, perverse hostility uh, that they exhibit toward bicyclists. Not quite sure what's uh, in the roots of it. But uh, anyway, so let's start with what would you do if you were uh, mayor, Mr. Bike, uh, in order to reduce uh, car traffic in Chicago? I just want to point out that I can address this subject. Mr. Bike can address this subject much more readily than I can address the other subject. That Mr. Bike addressed the other subject. I don't, I can't read uh, the minds of John Cass or what you call the the mega bike haters. Um, there is an alternative to using motor vehicles and using bicycles, and you can guess what it is. Walking. Give me another one. Uh, I mean tricycles. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> I don't know. Scooters? I'll give you a clue. There are dedicated TIF districts for this. As alternatives to bikes or cars? Transportation, yeah. Oh, buses? Buses and trains. There we trains. go. Okay, duh. <laughs> Come on, Ben. <laughs> so this is a little test. This indicates how well, it's not front of mind for people. And, and okay. I think that um, we suffer from this lack of emphasis on transit. If uh, I've had contention for a long time, if cities like Chicago invested more in transit, then people would be inclined to use it. Now, we have a lot of reported problems with the CTA in terms of trains and buses even showing up when, you know, the, the so-called tracker, uh, I call it 
uh, and I'm calling it the gaslighter, uh, is telling people that you know buses and trains are showing up, and that's that's kind of a an artifact maybe of the pandemic, you know, and uh, many you know many staff having left the CTA. But even pre-pandemic, we had you know there 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 were lots of problems with uh, trains and buses showing up on time. And there, there's, there are ways that other places across the world have addressed this, and you simply just have to do it. It's not rocket science. It's not new. We could just take buses. Buses often don't adhere to their schedules. They get caught in traffic. They show up late. You've seen buses where they show up three at a time yeah. at an intersection called bus bunching. And the reason for that, or a reason, a way to alleviate that is to let buses have priority in traffic. And there's a couple simple ways to do it that's used all over the world. One is uh, called uh, signal prioritization, where the, there's a, a mechanism in the bus that when it approaches a traffic signal, if it's already green, it stays green instead of turning to red, or it turns to green. So the bus can continue unimpeded. It doesn't slow it down. Another thing is uh, that slows buses down is motorists parking at the bus stop. So, you know, that that just screws everything up. You know, how, how did the passengers get on and off? Did the bus have to stop and wait and go around? So what has done has happened throughout the world, and New York City uh, reportedly was fairly, fairly successful on this, is uh, they put cameras on buses. So they're essentially license plate readers. And I know this is, this is going to annoy some people who have a problem with, you know, speed cameras and um, uh, other, you know, traffic enforcement cameras. But once motorists start getting ticketed for parking in bike lane, uh, in, bu in bus stops, then they stop doing it. You know, there's, there's now there's no consequence for it. But th those are two simple things that one can do to speed up buses. And I'll, I'll pause there. Well, it's it's going to everything you're saying makes sense, but it will of course exacerbate uh, the uh, uh, sort of the competition, if you will, the the tension, uh, the combativeness that already exists. I suppose that's unavoidable if we're going to recognize. How do you mean exacerbate? In what way? Well, okay, so just in terms of rhetoric, so once people start getting ticketed uh, for these oh. offenses, then the rhetoric will kick up about little, what do they call them? Little bike people uh, with their little bike people aldermen passing laws that uh, real people are affected by. Well, uh, I, I want to interrupt you there. Even though this is Mr. Bike speaking, this is not, uh, I don't think, it, in terms of transportation policy, considered a bike issue. It's a transit issue that benefits, you know, everyone. It makes for, you know, healthier cities to have improved transit. You're preaching to the choir. I'm just telling you what people who are not in the choir are going to say, what they've been saying. So they're going to ascribe it to bike riders. Yeah, they're going to blame bike policy. riders, environmentalists, you know, uh, just healthy eaters, just everybody that fits into that category, that general category that they hate. Uh, and uh, it's where we're at right now. It's the kind of rhetoric we get. Uh, so you're saying that these people hate transit too, then? Absolutely. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, so, for instance, you know, like we're dealing with this issue of crime in the CTA, and I follow it closely. Uh, and uh, I hear, I listen to both sides of the debate. Uh, you know, MAGA's uh, using crime to scare uh, people into voting for MAGA, uh, and Democrats. Uh, 
trying to find a um, an approach to this issue that they like, won't offend different parts of their um, their coalition. It's a struggle for both sides. Well, it's really not a struggle for MAGA. They don't even think about it. It's just an, an opportunity for them uh, to vilify people, demonize people, hate people, and win over uh, in that regards. I've not heard one MAGA candidate say, I really think what we should do to make Chicago a safer city uh, is to encourage um, more uh, people to ride public transportation. Because so many gunfights, uh, there's so many gunfights that occur, or so much violence occurs because motorists um, have a bad interaction. You know that, Dave. Someone cuts off somebody else next door. Yeah. yeah, road rage. Uh, so we're going. Not to... have, it's, uh, people often say this is this is not some. Once you put people in cars, it engenders this kind of hostility that that you would not uh, encounter if you were in the supermarket and you cut somebody cut you off with their shopping cart, yes. right? Because you, you're like you're not anonymized, you're not protected by oh, it's know, a whole big psychology. I, you and I have talked about this so many times. It's the whole psychology of being in a car. I talk about this all the time. Your approach, your attitude, it uh, alters whether you're a pedestrian, a bicyclist, uh, or a motorist. You, it, it, your your whole worldview shifts, and if you're in a car and you're tied up in traffic, I've told you this a million times. Coming down Damon, it's forever over that Damon Bridge. You're approaching diversity. You're approaching what's the uh, Clybourne. You, you just are so anxious to get out of that traffic. You'll zip across first chance you get. Here comes a bicyclist. He cuts so, you off. So and I, honk the horn. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to my go back on my soapbox and say that's why. I think it's really important to make intelligent, not just investments, but intelligent investments in transit. And I don't think in terms of, you know, the mega hostility to uh, environmentally friendly uh, modes of transportation, I don't think that's a real big issue in Chicago, because if you look at uh, like one one uh, perspective on that is just looking at the announced candidates for Chicago mayor. And there's, I don't know, what's the last count, a dozen or something like that, 15. And I don't think anybody in that pool questions investments in transit. And in fact, the CTA is is running full speed ahead on a multi-year project to extend the red line past 95th Street, so like 130, 130th Street, which is known as the Red Line Extension, a project which is reported to cost over $2.3 billion, and they're spending money on it now, even though nothing has been built, they're doing studies, et cetera. Well, $2.3 billion will buy you a lot of like, you know, simple stuff like I was talking about before around, you know, bus prioritization, where Whereas you could do a red line extension, you could extend the transit to the south side, to the southeast side. People thought of this 10 years ago just by simply increasing frequency and lowering cost on the Metro Electric line, which goes to the same darn place that this red line extension will go. And the, the studies and the proposals I've seen, one of them is called the gray line. Yes. At, at, the, at the cheapest, you simply just increase Metro electric frequency. In fact, Cook County funded a pilot project, which it calls 
looking, looking, looking. Uh, I'll just step in here. Yeah, I, I, yes, it's. I think it was more than ten years ago. I remember doing a story about the Gray Line proposal uh, many years ago. Uh, while you're looking for that uh, piece of evidence, I'll just say this: finish my thought. Well, let me finish my thought before you finish your thought. So, the, the, Cook County funded that to uh starting in 2021 i believe so they would, what metro did metro agreed to do uh and rta was involved regional transportation authority and pace were involved in this but the city of chicago was not involved in this project to increase transit options for people on the south side on the southeast side and it it was uh an effort to boost ridership on those lines and serve a place that you know trains that uh, l trains didn't go and then the pandemic it was in the middle of the pandemic unfortunately so while it didn't boost ridership to the degree expected it maintained ridership on metro electric and uh, the other line that the rock island line more than the other line so you know it had one measure success but just i'll make a final point you know you asked me what would i would do as mayor of chicago the Lightfoot administration balked at this project reportedly because they would fear it would cannibalize CTA riders, which is a, you know, a very sort of balkanized, it's, a, it's an artifact of a balkanized government that, you know, that I like to rail against. You know, you have all these fiefdoms and uh, people, I think, uh, electeds are more concerned with protecting their fiefdoms and serving people as this project to me clearly would. So I'll stop there. That's a good point, and uh, we're running out of time anyway. Uh, but uh, I just want to say that uh, if I am to believe that uh, this is really truly a bipartisan matter, the point I was going to make is that I would like uh, a law and order crowd would talk about if people are afraid of crime in this uh, CTA, the law and order crowd like Darren Bailey would be talking about increasing uh, some kind of security presence on a train. You get some pros and cons of that, but at least they'd be advancing that as an argument uh, and and coming up saying guaranteeing that they would spend money for that we don't see anything like that coming uh, so that's why i'm saying that uh it, bicyclists and the uh as, as a presence in a city uh, are reduced to social stereotypes uh, and convenient targets to use to rile up a base against people they're supposed to dislike uh, and uh it's very it's very difficult and challenging uh, to get like a bipartisan approach to funding public transportation uh, these days. But this TIF district that I talked about, the red line extension TIF district is probably going to pass in the Illinois General Assembly. And uh, so that my point is that funding for these uh, very expensive projects and perhaps not prudent projects, it doesn't seem to be a problem. Well, it has it'll it has to go through the city council. Uh, I think it's already passed the general assembly. Did it? I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, and uh, and then so in in Illinois is a, a blue state, so it doesn't need bipartisan support. Um, it, I, but yeah, I'm, I'm, obviously, I'm limiting my focus here. Yeah, to uh, and uh, that's a whole other st uh, story. The red line uh, TIF district. Uh, I, I wrote about it. Uh, we've talked about it on this show, and we'll be talking about it uh, in in advance, the, the peculiar way that has been distorted. All right, uh, Dave Glowatz, Mr. Bike, thank you very much. Uh, I want to can remind I, us. Can I plug uh, my uh, media? 
Absolutely. Take take off Mr. the bike helmet and no, no, put no, no, on no. I'm your fedora. Uh, okay. I'm the author of a popular paperback called Urban Bikers Tricks and Tips, which folks can find online by going to mrbike.com. That's mrbike on facebook.com slash biker tricks. You can find it there as well. And it's a uh, it's 250 pages of not just bike safety, but stuff like how to make your bike fly and how to take your bike on escalators and practical stuff, how to keep your helmet from screwing up your hair. So you can find that there. And then finally, um, I, as I mentioned, I'm a bicycling instructor. I do teach folks uh, traffic cycling. I, last month, I uh, was hired by a family to teach them, take them out on bikes and teach them bicycling. So uh, I'm available for that. And I am also work as an expert witness in bicycle crash civil suits. So uh, all that is, um, uh, if you find me at mrbike.com, you can find all that stuff. All right, very good. He'll also be back on our show on September 27th as Dave Glowatz of Inside Chicago. Man, man wears so many hats, ladies and gentlemen. Just and two. We'll be breaking, just two. Uh, and we'll be breaking down the city council. So thank you very much, Dave. Also, I uh, want to thank Chris for sitting in for Dennis. Great job. Appreciate it. Uh, and as Mr. Bike uh, and Dick Cheney will tell you. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Dick Cheney. It's what he wrote as his name uh, on the Google Meet. I just noticed. As Mr. Bike and uh, Dick Cheney will tell you back home and on the call him Chris. That's what they call him Chris. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com or wherever else you get your podcasts.